good morning. We're so glad you guys are here with us. Uh, it has been a crazy week for me, <clears throat> and so uh, I have had the flu this week, and so uh, I don't feel well. And uh, so I am heavily medicated right now, and I'm just hoping that everything I say is coherent today. Uh, and so we'll get through this together. And so it's been a rough week. Uh, I told you guys last week that Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays, and I got to spend it in bed by myself. So it was a little depressing. Yeah, I know. So, uh, but anyway, don't feel too bad for me. So uh, today is the first day I felt kind of okay. And so uh, I know a lot of people are sick right now, and it's just a crazy week with travel and all that. But we are glad you guys are here, or if you're watching online, uh, we're glad you're here as well. And so we are wrapping up this series today, Best Laid Plans. And if you haven't been a part of this series, we've been looking at this idea that all of us have plans in life. We have ideas the way that we think that our life should go. And, and so it's all based on squirrels. And so uh, squirrels are these animals that are fascinating. Um, and, and so I live in a neighborhood with lots of trees. And so there's squirrels, I mean, millions of squirrels, it feels like, all over the place. And so what you see right now is that squirrels are hiding away nuts and seeds for the winter. Now, what we found out was that they do this, and they even risk death by running across the road and across wires and all this stuff. And so they have all of these plans put in place to store these seeds and these nuts. But what we found out was there was some research done not too long ago that 75% of the nuts and seeds they hide away, they never find, right? And the question was, do we sometimes feel like squirrels, that we have all these plans, all of these ideas, all of these things we'd like to see happen in our life, and then it just doesn't always work out. Now, what we also discovered in the first week was it turns out this is actually a good thing that they can't find 75% of their nuts and seeds because what we found out was that squirrels on every year plant more trees than human efforts could even do. And so the forest and the woods, and, and so this is good for them, it's good for us, it's good for everyone. And so even when things don't work out the way that we hoped, sometimes something good could come out of it. And, and so we've been kind of looking at this idea of, of when our best laid plans don't turn out the way that we'd hoped, is there something good that can come out of it? Is it possible that a better story is be, being written, and can we be optimistic about the future? And so to close out this series, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and give us a new perspective on this idea of when sometimes things don't work out or when things haven't gone the way that we hoped and, and how can we view ourselves and how can we view these situations. Now, to start it, I want to show you a picture. This is one of my favorite pictures. Um, it should come up. Yeah, so this is my children. And so this is several years ago. This is my daughter, Paxton, and it's my son, Elliot. And there's a creek uh, right behind our house. And so this was on a rainy day. And so on, on days that it rains a lot, the creek fills up. And so in order to get across the creek into kind of the wooded area, you have to cross it. Now, this creek on this day was particularly kind of rough. And, and so they're crossing the creek. And, and I remember this day, and one of my favorite parts of this day was just the, the wonder and awe that they had as we were playing out there in this creek. And even this day, um, right there, there's a tree. We found a snapping turtle over there that had got his, his head caught in one of the branches. And so we went and got my, my uh, clippers, and so we uh, clipped all the branches to get him out. And, and they were just amazed at this day. And, and I was thinking about this, that when I look at this, and this is one example of this, that when you're a child, there's this sense of awe and wonder when it comes to life. And there's this sense of just excitement and joy and that everything's an adventure. And for them that day, it, it was an adventure. And, 
and, you know, life is filled with wonder. Every creek is meant to be crossed, and we're optimistic about the future and, and all of these things. Now, the problem is, is that life happens. And so when we're kids, we're optimistic about the future, and we see wonder and awe and everything, but life has a way of beating the wonder and awe out of us, doesn't it? We get betrayed, or we pour time and energy and money into something, and then it blows up in our face. It doesn't go the way that you thought it would go. Friendships erode and change. We lose loved ones, and things just happen. And so we think about kids, like there's this adventure, and there's this sense of wonder and awe around every corner when it comes to life, and there's always an adventure in front of us, but then we become adults, and we get beaten down by life. We have this pattern where our best laid plans don't work out and things don't always go the way that we hoped. For some of us, it's this idea that fear takes over, worry takes over. For some of us, anxiety can feel all-consuming. For some of us, it's this feeling we've talked about before, like we realize, like, you know, we thought we'd get it done in our 30s, and then we turned 40, and it still isn't done, so we thought we'd get it done in our 50s, and all of a sudden, it feels like life has passed us by. For some of us, it's this feeling we get sometimes that, that life hasn't gone the way that we'd hoped, and we feel like we should be further along than we actually are. And if we stay in those places too long, for a lot of us, we can end up cynical and jaded. And maybe you know somebody cynical and jaded. Don't elbow them, but maybe you know somebody like that. Where life has kind of beat them up and it hasn't gone the way that we'd hoped, the way that we'd planned. Now, I don't believe this is what God intends for us. I believe that God has better plans for us. I think there's more to life. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 to experience the kingdom of God, we must become like a child. To see wonder and awe and a sense of imagination and adventure and everything that life throws at us. Now, there's a distinction between childlike and childish, right? You know somebody that's childish, right? Childish is essentially a posture of the heart. Childish is a refusal of a resistance of things that aren't familiar. When we think of childish, we think of stubborn. We think of someone stomping their foot and folding their arms and refusing to participate, closing themselves off from the world. But childlike is the ways in which we are open to the wonder and awe that is around us every single moment of every single day. And God tells us in Matthew chapter 18 that in order to experience the kingdom, to experience the life that he has in store for us, we have to be childlike. Now, this doesn't mean, when I think about childlike, it doesn't mean that you don't have questions. It doesn't mean that you just blindly accept everything. Now, if you've been around children at all, you know that children are filled with questions, aren't they, right? We were watching a soccer game yesterday, and, and my daughter had a million questions about this game. And eventually I said, stop, just stop asking questions, right? Kids are filled with questions. They're inquisitive, and they ask questions. So to be childlike is to question things, yes, and be inquisitive, but to also eventually you get to the point where you ask all the questions you get the answers whether you understand them or not, and then eventually as a child, you learn to trust. And this is the part that I want to talk about today, is the ability like a child to trust. So let me bring back up that picture real quick, because what you don't see in this picture is how much convincing I had to do to make them cross that, that log. <laughs> there were a million questions about what was going to happen. What if we drowned? 
and six inches of water, I don't see it happening, right? But they had all of these questions. It took a lot of convincing. It took a lot of answering questions for them to finally trust me. And eventually, my daughter, who is filled with anxiety, eventually decided that she trusted me as her dad, and she crossed it. They trusted me. They trusted that as their father, that I would not put them in a situation or do something to them that would harm them. They trusted. Even though they didn't know everything that was going to happen, they trusted. One of the things that's interesting to me that sticks out to me about Scripture is Jesus' insistence to refer to God as a father. Of all of the descriptions that Jesus could use to refer to God, he insists on the word father. A good father. A perfect father. A father who we can trust. And so the question is that if we're going to have childlike faith and we ask the questions we want to ask and we're inquisitive about the life that we face, but eventually we get to a place where we have to trust. And the question is, do we trust? Do we trust God that even when life doesn't go the way that we'd hoped, can we trust him that he's still a good father, that he still has a plan, that he still has something better in mind for us? Now, one of the things we haven't talked about when we've talked about this series about this idea of life not working out the way that we hope, and we have all these circumstances in life that come into mind and all of these things that happen to us, but but one of the things that we haven't talked about is this, that sometimes the reason life doesn't work out the way that we hoped is not anybody else's fault other than ourselves. Bad news for you you have participated in every bad decision you've ever made, right? Sometimes we can't blame anybody else. Sometimes the reason that life hasn't worked out the way they hoped is nobody else's fault other than our own. The reality is sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we don't do things the way that we should. Sometimes we have plans in place, but then we make decisions that work against those plans, But let me ask you, as a parent, even when your child fails, when they mess up, do you still love them? And the answer is yes. Even when my kids mess up, I still want what's best for them. And that is my view as an imperfect father. And so Jesus wants us to see God as a father, as a perfect father. And so how much more does he want, even when life doesn't go the way we hoped and it's our fault, how much more does God want us to trust him? How much more does God want to be on our side? We view God as a good and perfect father. There's this great piece of literature that I once read. It was written by Henry Newman, and he says this. We have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. And sometimes what happens is when we mess up, we have this tendency to, to, to criticize. And he says, as soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am a nobody. I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. 
So we're supposed to see God as a father. And, and one of the words that we see pop up over and over again in the New Testament that refers to us is beloved, that we are the ones who are dearly loved. So the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that when the father looks at you, he looks at you as someone who is beloved? It is not merely a lofty thought or an inspiring idea. It is the name by which God knows us and the way he relates to us. It's the good news that God sees us as his beloved. That even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, even when we have to be pulled along to be convinced that we can trust him, that he sees us as beloved. Now, for some of us, the problem in life is we believe to be beloved by someone, it's something that has to be earned. We believe we have to do certain things in order for someone to love us. We believe we have to behave in a certain way in order for someone to love us. And when we mess up, how could someone love us? We learn early on our behavior influences the way people think about us. Our behavior sets us up to keep and make great friendships. Our behavior can ruin friendships and relationships. And so we learn early on that we have this system that's in place, that we have to perform a certain way. We have to do things a certain way. You've got to perform. You've got to perform in school. You've got to perform at work. You've got to perform in the marketplace. You have to perform in certain types of relationships, perform to your parents. Maybe you unfortunately felt the idea that you had to perform for your father, that you had to do certain things in a certain way in order for your father to accept you and to love you. For some of us, it's this idea that everything we know has been performance-based. Can I be honest with you? Isn't performing exhausting? Like this feeling that you have to do certain things in order to be loved and accepted. And yet here we have this picture that's painted of this perfect father and his love for us. John Egan once said, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that you are beloved by God? Frederick Buechner once said this, we are children. Perhaps at the very moment when we know that it is a child children that God loves us, not because we have deserved his love and not in spite of our undeserving, not because we try, not because we recognize the futility of our trying, but simply because he has chosen to love us. We are children because he is our father. In all of our efforts, fruitless, fruitful and fruitless, to do goods, to speak truth, to understand, are the efforts of children who for all the prosody are children still and before we loved him. He loved us and his children through Jesus Christ. So even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, we are beloved. God loves us. Not only does he love us like a perfect father, but there's this great exchange in the book of Isaiah. And in chapter 49, we see the people of Israel, they're struggling with this idea of God and who he is. And this prophet, he's trying to encourage them, and it says this in, in Isaiah 49, 14, it says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Sometimes when life doesn't work out the way that we hoped, we feel this. We feel that maybe God has forsaken us or God has forsaken or forgotten us. 
Maybe we feel like that, that, that we're on this path or in this season where God isn't as close to us. And so how does God respond to this? In verse 15, he says this. Can a mother forget her child and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Now let me ask you a question. I'm not a mom, but I've heard that moms love their kids pretty good, right? And it's kind of an unconditional thing. I mean, how indestructible is a mother's love for her child? And here is God, and he says, I want you to compare that to me. I want you to understand that just as a mother loves her child, that that I have not forsaken you, I will not forget you. A mother knows the cries of her child. Have you ever been in a crowd with a group of people, and all of a sudden you hear a a child crying, and what do moms all say? Well, that's my kid, right? They can like hear the voice. They can hear the cry distinct. And they run, and they do whatever is needed to comfort that child, to show her child love. And this is what God is saying. God is saying, just like the mother loves her child and will not forsake her child, I am the same with you. Now, ultimately, this love of God that we've been talking about as a father and now this description kind of as a mother in the way, it's all talk. But then the metaphor in Isaiah 49 changes a little bit. And here's what it says in verse 16. It says, see, I have engraved engraved you on the palm's of my hands, which is this great kind of metaphor at first about God's devotion. Like when we look at it, we say like, well, God loves us so much that he's actually like, he's actually engraved our names on his hands. Um, But what we have to understand is the language that's being used here. So in the ancient world, sometimes the name of a master might be tattooed on the servant. And so it's this dark part of human history and kind of a disturbing one, but, but it, it's some idea you, you would mark onto someone that, that is the master, that this is your servant. But never ever would a master put the servant's name on his palm. And here's this picture that God is painting, that he's so devoted to us, the master devoted to the servant, that he has engraved our name on his palm. And it's this idea uh, that we use in the, the Hebrew word, this idea of engraved, it literally means with a hammer and a chisel, that it's painful at times. So how far would God go to prove his devotion to us? Centuries later, there's a man named Thomas who at the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, he didn't believe it was possible what Jesus did. And Jesus looks at him and he says, look at the palms of my hands to show how far his love is, to show how great his love is. It's the final argument. See, some of us, we believe that God cannot love us and that God cannot be this perfect father, but yet then we see the cross. We see how far God is willing to go to show his devotion to us. We may have the idea of look at the awful stuff in me, the things I've done, the ways I've messed up. We could focus on all the terrible things, the the wrong things with us. And this is a popular idea in the Christian world to talk about how terrible we are. I mean, I can promise you just like me, we are miserable people, right? We do things, we hurt people, we do wrong things. But then we open up the text 
And it's this reminder over and over again that we are his beloved. And so when things don't work out, when things don't go as planned, and you have no one else to blame but yourself, and you start to beat yourself up, I think Jesus would say to you, look at the palm of my hands. Look at the way in which I love you. See, some of us, we think in life that we've messed up and, and that how could God love us and how could God be for us and, and all of this. And I think God proves once and all his love for you on the cross. His love for you unconditionally. As a mother loves a child, as a perfect father who wants what's best for his children, as his beloved. He wants what's best for you. He wants us to learn to trust him as a child trusts a father or a mother, to believe, to believe he can be trusted even when life doesn't go as planned, to be optimistic about the future because of the grace that he gives, the idea, the belief that tomorrow could be better than today. My hope is that we become people who learn to trust people who have faith like that of a child, to believe that life is full of possibility and wonder, even when it doesn't work out the way that we hoped. To trust in him as a father, to believe him, to trust in his grace, to trust in his mercy, and to believe that he has better plans and better things in store for us. Let's pray.